Good morning. I'd like to welcome you and those listening on radio to our worship service this morning at First Church. I have several announcements before we get started. I've just been called to my attention that the uh, notification in your bulletin on the New Knoxville Historical Society, Autumn Heritage Day is not today. It's next Sunday from 1 to 4. You also notice that the blue jug is still out, which benefits the relief effort for the flood victims in Louisiana. That will continue to be out till the end of the week. Today we also continue our Bible study, our sermon series, I should say, on the book of Philippians. And if you have not picked up your study booklet, they're available at all the entrances. Today is also Promotion Sunday and the first day of Sunday school classes. Parents are asked to take their children to the class that they were in last year. And at that time, the uh, teachers will take them to their new classes. There will also be a, you're also invited, the parents are also invited to an informational meeting here where they will give you an update on the new curriculum that we have this year and also how you can incorporate that curriculum into your home. If you are have signed up to be a mentor of one of the confirmation students. There is a meeting immediately following the worship service in the sanctuary. And also tonight, a youth group starts, regular Sunday night youth group, uh, before 30 for the junior high and 6.30 for the senior high students. We're also starting a new ministry here at First Church, and I'd like to have Clinton Hirschfeld come up. He will provide you with more information on that. Thanks, Jack. Good morning. Kind of want to give you a little, this is an unofficial kickoff. I'm really excited. Hopefully, if you look in your bulletin, there's a half-sheet guy that looks like this. It's double-sided, and it's kind of an oval sheet. It's not a standardized test. You know, there won't be a grade. You really can't fail, but... What this is, is we're hoping to start a new ministry here. Um, it's something that Danielle and I did when we were in the Columbus area, and we're really, really excited to, uh, to bring this kind of the first church and kind of get this kicked off. And it's something that's called a dinner cluster. And what a dinner cluster will be, it's, it's four to five couples or individuals, it's eight to ten people, um, in kind of a similar age and stage. So whether it's you have kids, you don't have kids, you're married, you're single, you're an empty nester, you're retired, you're close to retirement, or any kind of combination of those. And it's basically a great way that we're going to kind of structure and match similar folks with similar ages and stages of life, similar needs from a Christian fellowship and Christian growth standpoint. And we can get you in a group together and hopefully going out to eat once a month or staying in a home and eating once a month just for fellowship and and spiritual growth and encouragement. So what we're asking you to do is you can fill out this sheet. It has kind of your demographic information. Um, What age are you? Are you interested in having the kids along? Are you interested in getting a night out of the house without the kids so you can have grown-up conversations for a change? Uh, but whatever the case may be, you can indicate that. Um, I think we're talking to Tori. We're hoping to coordinate and get some, maybe some youth coverage that will have kind of a, a set babysitting night that that will be available for that cluster to meet, for example, um, and kind of to support you in that way. Um, we're, we're working on all that. You can fill these out. You can put these into the offering plate. You can also drop them off here at the church office. 
Also tomorrow, if you are Facebook savvy, there will be a Google form, a link that will appear on the church's uh, homepage on Facebook, and you can fill this all out online as well. So if you want to make a note for yourself, check Facebook on Monday. That's also good. You can get all your information. It's the same questions that you see before you right now, and it's just an electronic way if, if that's something you'd prefer. Um, we're hoping to get these kind of matched up and started ASAP. Uh, we, I, we met with a spiritual council. I met with the elders, and they kind of said maybe January because it's a less busy time of year. And we all looked at each other and said, there's never a not busy time of year. So let's try to get this started and kicked off. If you have any questions, you can see myself um, or Joel, um, and we can go from there. So appreciate your time and everything, and let's, uh, let's get it going. Thank you. Thank you, Clinton. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now to start our service this morning, will you please rise and join me in our call to worship, which is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the second half of verse 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Our opening song of praise is a song by Matt Mayer, Your Grace is Enough.
seated. This time I want to invite the elders and, and Tori forward. Uh, as, as you heard during the announcements, it is prison, well, promotion Sunday. For some reason I keep calling it presentation Sunday and I can't stop, but it's promotion Sunday. And, uh, we'd like to, uh, do something a little different this year. Um, I think this is something that you have done in the past and, and we thought it would be a great idea to continue that this year is that, um, on the first day of Sunday school, uh, we get the first graders, uh, new Bibles. And so we'd like to invite them forward to give them, uh, to them at this time. So Tori, if you'd like, Tori's going to call out your names and, and the first graders and, and the parents, if you're willing, can come forward and we'll, the elders will, uh, hand out the Bibles. Matthew, i Evan Flutterjohn, Connor Hoagie, Kayla Offerman, Lena Offerman, Ty Schroeder, Uh, Ella Spring and Luke File. <laughs> okay, Luke's coming. for uh, being here today. Uh, you guys got your new Bibles there, and I just want to encourage you uh, to read those. Um, they're, they're nice and new and shiny, but don't be afraid to read them, uh, you know, highlight them, uh, write notes in them. Those, guys are, those are your Bibles for you to keep, and my prayer for you is, as you receive those is that you'll learn to read them you know, as a family, uh, read them with your parents, and that through that Bible, through reading your Bible, uh, you'll learn to trust God and to know him more. So I want to pray for you guys, and then I'll invite you to sit down. Thank you all for being here today. If you'd like to, yeah, if you'd like to, no problem. And if you'd like, the elders will lay hands on, on the kids if, if, if they want to. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to honor these, these children and, and, and welcome them to this new uh, stage of life and stage of Sunday school. I pray that these gifts, um, these Bibles, Lord, would be an encouragement to them, that they would uh, learn to read them, uh, learn to use them, Lord, to know more about you, to learn more about you, and ultimately to trust you more um, in their, with their own lives. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys may be seated. This week in Ohio, Trooper Kenneth Velez was killed this week in duties as part of the Ohio, Ohio State Highway Patrol. And in Iraq, in support of our mission, First Lieutenant Jeffrey D. Cooper, 25, died in support of our Operation Inherent Resolve, which is Iraq's attack against Daesh, or the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. He was from Mill Creek, Washington. 
Also, it should be noted that 50% of the land that ISIS took several years ago has been repatriated, leaving the great city of Mosul, which will be liberated probably as we begin soon. To give you some idea of the difficulty of that, Mosul is the second largest city in Iraq, formerly having somewhere around two to two and a half million inhabitants. Interestingly, it is directly across the river from the ancient Assyrian city of Nineveh. So that gives you some idea of where this is. And those of you that know about Nineveh, you know that the prophet Jonah had something to do with Nineveh. His tomb was in Nineveh, and in July of 2014, Daesh obliterated that particular tomb. So keep our efforts in mind. We have sent more troops to an airfield 40 miles south of Mosul as the operation of the Iraqi army and so forth is beginning to work at liberating Mosul from the Islamic Republic of Syria and the Levant. Thank you, Jay, for uh, your continued remembrance of the soldiers and their families. And, and let's all continue to be praying for their families and for those who have suffered loss, uh, not just lost the, losing a loved one, but also the many injuries and, and, and other casualties that have taken place as a result of war. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, we are... Uh, we are grateful for those who have given their lives and sacrificed so much uh, so that we could be here this morning and worship you in the freedom that we have to do so. Uh, Lord, I was reminded as I prepared the message for this week that, that not all Christians are blessed to, to gather freely as we do each week. Um, and I know in my own heart, in my own mind, I, I have often taken that for granted. Um, so, I, Lord, I thank you for that blessing. I thank you for the many men and women who have who have sacrificed over the years um, to guarantee that freedom for us. Um, and so I pray now that you would be with the families of, of those who lost loved ones recently. We pray that you'd be their comfort and their peace at this time. Uh, Lord, it's also encouraging, uh, as we just gave Bibles to these new first graders, um, it's, remi- it's a reminder to us of the importance and the value of your word uh, in our own lives. Uh, Lord, you've chosen to reveal yourself through your word. Um, you've made, us, made known to us uh, all that is needed for salvation, all that is needed to know who you are and to, to have a relationship with you through your word. And so I pray that none of us would take that for granted either, um, that we would be encouraged by and be reminded um, with these new Bible presentations today uh, the importance of your word and, and reading it for ourselves in our own lives. And I pray that each one of us, whether we're first graders or, or we've been at this for a while, that we would be encouraged to know you and, and, and learn more about you by studying your word. Um, thank you that your word was made flesh through your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he made that guaranteed all of this for us, Lord. Um, it's, it's your sacrifice and your love for us that was shown through Christ that makes all this possible. And we're reminded um, of, the, of the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we pray in his name by sharing that prayer together. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. With those uh, helping with, with offering this morning, uh, please come forward and we invite the, the choir to share some special music as, as we collect that offering.
may be seated. Before I begin our scripture reading this morning, I want to remind you that the eye that we're talking about here is Paul and that he is in prison. So as we begin this, um, that little bit of background can get your frame of mind where it needs to be. Um, Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18a. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what was What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Thank you, Maria. Before we begin our message today, I have a couple more announcements. Uh, Bye. See you later, Josephine. (laughs) Have fun in the nursery. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, We didn't want to rapid fire you with announcements this morning. We knew that Clint was going to be sharing. And and, um, so I I saved my announcements for for now. But a couple things I want to just clarify for you. Um, There was an announcement in the bulletin last week about a new adult Sunday school class. There's actually two of them that will be starting next week during the Sunday school hour. Uh, One is uh, discerning the voice of God, and that's going to be led by Connie and Tina. Um, and, and another one uh, that I'm going to lead is, is based on the Gospel Project, which is the same curriculum that the students are using. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we decided to go with that curriculum uh, is because they not only had uh, curriculum for children and, and teens, and the, but they also have one for adults. And so starting next week, when the kids start their Gospel Project curriculum, um, there will be an adult class that we're going to offer. Both of these classes will take place in the ministry center, um, depending on how many people show up, we'll decide which room we take, uh, but they'll both be over there. Um, but uh, I just want to encourage you because this is an opportunity to, especially if you have a child in the Sunday school program, um, this is a great opportunity for you to uh, connect, be on the same page as them, and then that can lead to some really positive and hopefully encouraging conversations around the dinner table uh, at home throughout the week. So uh, obviously it'll be geared towards adults. We're not going to be using the kids' curriculum, uh, but but we'll be studying the same passages, the same themes, the same topics each week. And so um, if you if you are av- available to stay. For Sunday school during the hour immediately following the service, uh, we encourage you to join you. That'll start next week, uh, along with the the kids' new curriculum as well. Uh, the other announcement that I wanted to talk about um, is a is a ministry that's going to be happening in a couple weeks called Revive Ohio. Um, this is if you. Um, 
saw maybe on Facebook, this is how I first heard about it. Time to Revive is a national organization that travels around and holds kind of revivals uh, around the country to, to reach out to unsaved uh, people in their community. And just a few weeks ago, they were in Dark County, which I'm told is nearby here. I'm still figuring things out. Uh, but they, they had a great response, great ministry there. Um, I, I think last I heard some 300 people made a commitment to Christ and were baptized for the first time. So um, lots of great things are happening. While they um, are going to come to Auglaize County uh, the week of beginning October 9th, um, they're going to be basing their services out of the Harvest Baptist Church in Wapakoneta. Um, and you're going to be hearing more information about that in the coming weeks. But I wanted to throw that opportunity out to you. Um, they're going to have evening services every night from Sunday through Saturday. Uh, Monday through Saturday, they're actually going to be offering a free dinner, free meal. Um, you can come at 530 to Harvest Baptist Church in Wapakoneta, eat a meal, and then the services are at 7. Um, and there's going to be opportunities to pray and to minister throughout the day as well. So if anyone's interested in more details, uh, see me about that. I can, I can kind of let you know what's going on and how you can plug in if you're interested in volunteering. Um, but if, if you simply just want to be a part of it, um, show up to the services at night um, and invite friends and family and coworkers and, and anybody else you can think of uh, to this ministry. It'll be a great opportunity to, for people to hear the gospel um, preached. So that's happening the week of October 9th, and, uh, and there'll be more information about that in the coming weeks as well. Uh, and one other announcement that I just thought of as the choir was singing, I just want to say that, that Allie and I have been amazed about the musical talent that's in this church. And I just want to take a moment and just recognize that the choir, um, all the special music that's been happening, um, our pianist and organist, you know, it's just been a, a blessing for me because I have absolutely no musical talent whatsoever to be encouraged by that and to, and to have this music ministry that's happening at the church. And so I just want to thank all of you who are involved, the choir and others that, that make that possible because it really is a, an encouragement um, to me uh, to see that taking place and to just see how God is using you all to, to minister to others. So thank you for that. Um, let's, let's open it with a word of prayer before we jump into Philippians. Father, thank you for this day. Um, again, thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to be here to minister and to share uh, these messages that you've placed on my heart. Um, Lord, it is a privilege to be here uh, and to share in this way. And so I pray that you would um, work through me, um, just as you work through uh, musicians and others with those gifts. I pray that you would work through me now to, to share a message that, that we need to hear this morning and to be encouraged by and maybe challenged by as well. So I pray that you give me words to speak and open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. In Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, as, as Jack mentioned, there's some more Philippian study books. Uh, if you didn't get one last week, I heard we, we ran out, so more were printed, and so hopefully you all have one and, and, and are able to follow along if you so choose. But we're on week two, uh, Philippians chapter one, beginning with verse 12. And actually, this will be, um, this week's sermon and next week's sermon are gonna kinda go hand in hand. Uh, they really go along the same theme of, uh, redemptive suffering. Anybody who has, uh, lived in this world for any length of time has has asked the question that we all stumble upon at some point and is why is there suffering in the world right why why do good or excuse me why do bad things happen to good people that's that's the question of all questions right and people have struggled and wrestled with that question for ages and it's a it's a question that the bible wrestles with as well you know why why do people suffer what good can come of that uh, in the Old Testament, you see the entire book of Job is, is really dedicated to that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people suffer? Why is there evil in the world? 
right? Why do these terrible things happen? And, and you know, I'm not preaching on Job, but you can, it's, it's a great opportunity to go and look and see, see how God works through Job and through his life to, to answer, provide some guidance in those areas. But it's also a question that I think comes up in this passage as well. Paul, as, as Maria just shared with you, and if, uh, to remind you from last week, right, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from jail. Right? He had been imprisoned and persecuted because of his ministry. Um, and, and you can see Paul's testimony in other books in the New Testament about all that he went through because of his ministry. Right? Some pretty bad things happened to Paul, and it was all because he was serving the Lord. And, and putting himself out there as, as, a, as, as he puts it, a slave or a servant for the gospel. And so Paul was going through some pretty rough things, and the Philippians were aware of that, right? Um, that's one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter, to reassure the Philippians, this church that he cared so much about, that he was all right. And, and this, that's what this uh, passage that we're looking at today deals with, right? He's, he's giving them an update on what is going on in his life and, and the situation that he finds himself in. And I would say Paul's main goal in this section isn't to, you know, beg for help or ask for them to send them, ask for the Philippian church to send even more gifts or to throw some sort of woe is me kind of pity party. But Paul's goal here is to change their perspective. And I think it's a challenge to us as well. You know, we often... Um, have an issue when we, when we face difficulties, when we face hardship, we have a, a perspective that focuses just so much on our circumstances, on the, the trouble that we face. Right? The Philippians were obviously concerned about their friend and, and really their pastor who was in jail, but instead of taking that kind of attitude and taking that kind of perspective, uh, Paul writes in order to hopefully change their perspective. What they saw as a bad thing, right? Paul's imprisonment, on the surface level, anybody would say that that is a bad thing, right? Paul, Paul's encouraging them to see what they saw as a bad thing was actually a good thing because God was going to use it to advance the gospel. Right? What, what seemed like a, a horrible situation, what seemed like um, difficulty, what seemed like the end of the line, uh, Paul writes, was actually used to advance the gospel because God was using it. And so therefore, what seemed like a terrible thing was actually a good thing. The difference is between God's perspective of a situation and our perspective. Uh, Tori and I have started uh, confirmation classes these past couple of weeks, and it's been a joy to, to work with the seventh grade class. Um, you are full of energy, and it's exciting and awesome. Uh, but we've been talking, working through the book called The Story. I know the church did that as a Bible study several years ago. Um, and one of the themes of the story is to look at this God story, the Bible, from, from two different perspectives, the upper story and the lower story, right? The upper story being God's perspective, how God sees things, kind of the, the big movements and the big themes that you see working throughout Scripture and in the lives of these people. Um, whereas the lower story uh, is, is kind of the, the what's going on, the day-to-day kind of stuff, how we experience life, how we go through difficulties and hardships. And so when we just focus on, on our own perspective, on that lower story, we're completely missing out on what God is doing and what God is working in our lives. Um, what Paul is encouraging these, this, these Philippians to do and what he's encouraging us to do is, is to not focus on just that lower story, not focus just on our circumstances, but see things from his perspective, from, from God's perspective, I should say. When we do that, when we're able to see that upper story working in our lives, we're able to, to gain a new, new understanding of the situation that we find ourselves in, good or bad. 
In reality, we're no use to God when we only focus on our own circumstances instead of trusting in him. David, uh, in the Psalms, in, in Psalm 73, he writes this, beginning of verse 21, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. That's Psalm 73, verses 21 and 22. Right? Paul, or excuse me, David recognized that, right, he, when, when his heart was troubled, when he just focused on his own circumstances, when he was bogged down by what was going on in his own life, right, he was, he was of no use to God, right? His, his emotions, his, he had allowed his situation to take over, and he had lost that perspective of what God was doing. We see that turning to God often produces a change in attitude in our own lives, not necessarily of our circumstances. When we're able to gain a better understanding of what God is doing and how God is working in our lives, right? our circumstances don't necessarily change, but our attitude towards them does. And that's the, that's the difference that God does in our own lives more often than not. Right? The call to worship that was read for you today was from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And in that passage, Paul writes about this thorn in his flesh, right? This, this issue that was going on and, and people have speculated what that could possibly be. Maybe it was a physical ailment, an illness that he was facing. Maybe it was a metaphor for hardship and persecution. Uh, but whatever the case, right? Paul goes to the Lord and asks him three different times to remove this thorn from his side, right? To take away this pain, take away this hardship, take away the suffering. And instead of taking it away, Paul realizes he has a change of perspective, right? He wanted God to remove the suffering, but instead he realized that it was through his suffering, through his hardship, that he realized that God's grace was sufficient for him, right? God would provide the strength that was needed to to handle the situation. God would make a way, right, for, for Paul to be able to deal with that suffering. And so Paul goes on, he doesn't even... You know, he, he's not just okay with it, but he says, I'll even boast in my hardships. I'll even boast and brag about the persecutions that I face because he realizes, he finally realizes that it's in his weakness, in his suffering, in his hardship that God's power is revealed, right? God's working in our lives is often revealed through those times of hardship. And so we have to ask ourselves, when everything seems to be falling apart, you know, whose perspective are we going to trust? Are we going to trust our own, our own limited view of things, our own limited understanding of, of the hardship and suffering that we're going through? Or are we going to be willing to trust God and trust that his grace is sufficient for us? You know, we sang this song today, which is uh, maybe new to some of you, but I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Your grace is enough. You know, trusting that God's grace is enough to see us through whatever difficulty, whatever hardship we're going to face. There's a saying that's, that goes on, uh, I'm sure you've all heard it, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, I'm sure you've all heard that. Uh, many people believe that that's in the Bible, but I'm here to tell you it's not. You know, God does not promise that he will never give us more than we can handle. But what he does promise is that he will provide the strength that we need through him to get through it, Right? Suffering is real. Hardship happens. You know, many of, many of us have faced difficulties in our lives. And when we try to tell ourselves that God will never give us more than we can handle, we're, we're lying to ourselves. But what God does promise is that through his grace, through his strength, through his power, we will be able to get through. But it's when we rely on him and look to him that he will provide that way. And so Paul here in this, 
in Philippians, he's trying to get us to have a, a different perspective. He's, he's writing to the Philippians so that they have a different perspective um, on the situation that he finds himself in. Right? He begins to explain what's going on. And the Philippians were aware that he's in jail and they probably would have expected him to start to describe the situation and how terrible it was. Right? You won't believe what happened to me. I was arrested for preaching the gospel. I'm, I'm in chains, literally. Right? I'm, I'm awaiting trial and, and I could be executed. Right? That would make sense from our perspective to, to describe those things. But that's not the direction that Paul goes in. Surprisingly, he describes how his imprisonment has actually been used to advance the gospel. Instead of being a hindrance, instead of, instead of being a roadblock to his ministry, Paul realizes that his hardship, his suffering, was actually used to, to advance the gospel. This word advance uh, is a word that means, in a sense, in, sp- in spite of obstruction that would otherwise block the path of a, or, excuse me, advancement in spite of obstruction that would otherwise block the path of a traveler. You know, it's used for, for military when the army is being, is traveling along and there's something that's in the way that would otherwise block them from advancing, they're able to get through it. They're able to move past that obstruction. And so Paul, in a sense, is saying that, that what should have stopped the gospel from moving, what should have stopped his ministry in its tracks, him being in jail, has actually been used to advance it. As instead of a roadblock, it was actually the vehicle that God was using to move his ministry and, and advance the gospel forward. And the reason for that is Paul writes that he's in chains for Christ. Right? People, his jailers, others that's, that were able to witness what he was going through, they realized that he was no ordinary prisoner. Right? Paul wasn't just some common criminal that was, that was caught red-handed. Right? He wasn't a, a, a prisoner of war or anything like that. He was there because of what he believed. He was there because of his ministry. And so people were able to see that there was something different about him. You know, if you think about it, if someone is willing to go to jail, if someone is willing to suffer, and as we know from church history in the early church, people who were willing to die for something they believed in, there must be something to it, right? You know, if you, were, if you knew somebody that was willing to go to jail for what they believed in, you may not immediately agree with them, but you're going to give them credit. You know, you're going you're gonna to listen to what they have to say because of their conviction, because of their willingness to suffer and to be persecuted for their beliefs. Right? And that's what Paul was going through. He was willing to go through these things simply because of his ministry. Right? He, he could have easily denounced his faith in Christ. He could have said, you know, all right, I'll stop preaching. I'll quit doing this thing if you let me out of jail. But he didn't. He was willingly arrested. He was willingly uh, suffering so that the gospel would advance. And when people willingly go through that kind of stuff, people notice. And for Christ also indicates that Paul, you know, he connected his suffering with the suffering of Jesus. Right? Paul realized that, that just as Jesus suffered to advance the gospel, just as Jesus was beaten, he was arrested, he was persecuted, and he ultimately died on the cross so that God's kingdom would advance, his gospel would be made known, Uh, Paul was going through that same kind of suffering. And what we can learn from this is that God is able to use evil. He's able to use suffering. He's able to use the bad things that happen in our lives for good. Right, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This is the closing verses of the first book of the Bible. We see this, this amazing story just taking place where Joseph, 
was betrayed by his own family, beaten almost to death, sold into slavery. He winds up in Egypt where he begins to gain power and, and, and work his way up through the ranks, ends up in jail, right, and forgotten about for a couple of years. And eventually, through God working in his life, through God providing for him, he ends up in charge of all of Egypt. And it's through that position that he is able to save his own family when famine strikes. And so this is Joseph's response, right? Joseph could have been bitter. He could have been angry. He could have been upset at his family. He could have held it against him, right? But this is what Joseph says instead. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I think that's the same perspective that Paul had, right? Not that his imprisonment was a good thing, right? Not that his suffering was a good thing, but that God was using what was evil, what was wrong, the suffering that Paul was going through in order to accomplish what is now being done, which is the saving of many lives. The gospel was being advanced through Paul's hardship. Now, I want to have a little caveat here just to warn you. I'm not, I'm not saying that God is the author of evil or suffering. Not that God wants people to suffer, but God can use our suffering. God can use the hardship that we go through for his good. Genesis 32.4, uh, this is Moses speaking of God. He says, he is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And then probably a more familiar passage to many of you is James chapter 1, verse 13. Excuse me, my pages are sticking together here. Sorry about that. James chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You see, the Bible is very clear that God does not desire for us to suffer. It's suffering and evil in this world is not the result of God putting it in our lives. It's the result of the sin and the consequences of sin that affects all of us and affects the world that we live in. But God is sovereign. He is able to use that suffering. He's able to use that harm that, that sometimes takes place in our lives for good, right? He's able to take the most evil of circumstances, the Son of God himself dying on the cross, and use it for our ultimate good, our salvation. Right? God can take the most difficult hardships that we face and bring good out of it. And that's what Paul is able to recognize here. And he, and he expels it out more specifically in Romans chapter 28. Right? God works together for the good of, he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8:28. And notice it says that God can use all things, not just the good stuff in our life, right? Not just when things are going well, but all things for the good of those who love him, right? He can use even our hardship, even our suffering, even our pain to advance the gospel. And that's what Paul is experiencing here. So how did the gospel advance? How did it move forward with Paul being in prison? Well, well, Paul was able to witness to the prison guard, right? It says there that that word quickly spread through the through the prison guard about Paul and the gospel was advancing through his witness. But also other Christians were emboldened by Paul's imprisonment. 
Right? Others were able to, were inspired and were encouraged by Paul in his situation. And so they went out even more and preached even more about the gospel. And so word was spread that way. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies growing up. One of my all-time favorite movies is Braveheart. Uh, Mel Gibson, you know, it's the story of William Wallace and the Scottish Revolution. Um, and it's a 20-some-year-old movie, so I hope I'm not going to ruin it for any of you. But at the end of the movie, right... William Wallace is captured by the British and he's brought to London and, and he's tried as a, as a traitor, right? Because, uh, because Britain was in, in charge of Scotland at that time. And so he's charged and sentenced to death. And so this, one of the, the, one of the last scenes there is his, you know, torture and execution. And, and, and some of his closest friends and, and allies were there and they witnessed it. And you'd think that seeing their leader, seeing somebody going through that would have discouraged them, would have brought an end to their rebellion, would have brought an end to their revolution. But instead, the closing scene was, was his death, his suffering brought the people together and unified them. And it was, and it was that moment, that, that inspiration that, that ended up leading to victory that brought the people together was, was his suffering. And so, you know, kind of in the same way, Paul here is suffering. He's in jail, and, and as a result, his brothers and sisters in Christ were able to put more confidence in God and spoke even more boldly because they were inspired by Paul's situation and his boldness in prison. But not all of them were preaching from positive and pure motives. Um, that's the next section that Paul talks about. Right, those who... Of those who were preaching the gospel as a result of his imprisonment, not all of them were doing it for the right reasons. And Paul describes how some were honest and sincere while others were reaching, or excuse me, were preaching out of envy and, and jealousy and false motives. Now I want to make clear that, that Paul's not here talking about false teachers, people that were, you know, pagans or people that were teaching a false gospel. Um, Paul's pretty clear about his opinions. On, on people who spread a false gospel. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 talks about how uh, Paul says, let those who preach a different gospel be under a curse, right? He was pretty determined that the truth of the gospel was proclaimed and that people would not corrupt that or, or disrupt the truth of, of God's word and what Christ had done for us. So these people that Paul are talking about are, are most likely genuine, sincere Christians, but they were people that had... Uh, had an issue with Paul in his ministry, um, some personal, you know, envy, some personal strife there. And so when Paul, with Paul in jail, they see an opportunity for personal gain. They see an opportunity to, to kind of uh, advance their own agenda, I guess you can say. But here's the amazing thing. Paul says whether it's out of sincere motives or whether it's out of false motives, whether they were doing it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, Paul rejoices. And that's just amazing to me, right? Paul rejoices that the gospel is being preached, right? Paul is able to put aside his own personal agenda. He's able to put aside his own feelings, his own uh, concerns about these people that were rivals of his. And he rejoices that Christ is still being preached. You know, if only we would have the same attitude, right? We Christians, let's, let's be honest with each other here, right? We often let our own personal feelings and pride get in the way, don't we? You know, we Christians, we, we will not always see eye to eye, right? We're going to disagree on many things. And, and a lot of us, uh, I'm not saying us specifically, you know, here in this room, but Christians in general, we allow those disagreements and, and those um, points of, of issue take over. And we allow those things to get in the way of our 
of our ministry and we begin to have these jealous issues with each other. You know, this church is a rival of that church over there and, oh, I wouldn't go there because of you know who. You know, these things come up over and over again. But I was reminded once that the one thing that we all have in common as Christians is infinitely greater than anything that could possibly separate us. And that one thing is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? When we allow our, our petty disagreements and our arguments get in the way and distract from the gospel, distract from Christ and Him crucified, then we're, we're doing a disservice to, to the gospel and doing a disservice to ministry. As long as people are being pointed to Christ and the saving grace of His gospel, we should rejoice, whether they're here at First Church or at another church. You know, if people are being saved, if people are learning about God and, and are coming to a saving knowledge of Him and are growing in their relationship with Him, it shouldn't, we shouldn't let our own personal disagreements get in the way. And Paul was able to see that for himself. Paul was able to recognize that, that even, even if these people were rivals of his, even if they were trying to take advantage of his situation, he said, look, Christ is still being preached. People are coming to know the Lord. And because of that, I rejoice. You know, I wish that we would all have that same attitude as well. And so that brings us to the end of our passage for today. Next week we'll pick up here in the middle of verse 18 and continue this idea of, of redemptive suffering, of, of how God can use our hardships like Paul being in jail um, in order to advance his gospel and what that means for us. But before we close, I just want to share a few implications that come out of this passage. First of all, God does not work in spite of our suffering but he works through our adverse circumstances. You know, a lot of times, especially in the United States, right, we do everything we can to avoid suffering, right? We have the means, we have the ability to, to avoid hardship if, you know, mostly, um, you know, we, of course, we face difficult things. But, but for the most part, we spend our lives trying to avoid difficult circumstances. We spend our lives trying to avoid having to face hardship or suffering of any kind. But this passage reminds us that, it's, that God doesn't just use those good moments in our lives to teach us or to mold us or to advance his gospel, but he uses our suffering and hardship as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says that the, it was through the, the cross's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right? God used the foolishness of, of Jesus Christ dying on the cross in order to save us. Right? His suffering, his hardship is what brought us salvation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, Paul talks about how, how we have this great treasure, this salvation that God has given us, and yet it's stored in jars of clay, right? Our human weakness, our mistakes, our hardships, right? The thing about jars of clay is they're fragile, right? They can easily be broken. But yet God continues to use us and use our hardship to advance his kingdom and advance his gospel in our own lives as well. I think I'm reminded of the, the Chinese church, and, and I won't go into too much detail about this for sake of time, but, but in 19, by 1953, all of the Christian ministry, missionaries had been forced out of China um, by the government. There were no longer any Christian missionaries in the entire country, and it was estimated that there were maybe 4 million Christians in the entire country at that time. And most people believed that because the missionaries were gone, Christianity would simply just die out that within a generation or two there would be no more Christians. Well, after several decades when, the board, when China began to open up a little bit more and Christians were allowed back in again, they realized that the church hadn't died, but it had actually had exploded. 
that by, by today's estimates, they're upwards of, the conservative estimates are 26 million Christians. Some say even up to 36 million Christians. Right? They, they faced hardship. They faced persecution. It was illegal to profess faith in Christ. And yet, the church grew and grew all the more. God uses our suffering and hardship to advance his gospel. Also, joy, this I'll close with this, joy is connected to the advancement of the gospel, not our own circumstances. Paul had every reason to complain and be discouraged, but instead he rejoiced. He found joy because his focus was on the gospel and what God was able to do in and through him, not just his own circumstances. I titled this sermon series, you know, Finding Joy, uh, talking about finding uh, contentment in every circumstance, right? And this is the beginning of what we'll see, what the theme that will develop is that our contentment, our joy is not based on our circumstances, not based on what's happening moment to moment, but our true contentment comes when our focus is on God and what he's doing in and through our lives and not simply on what we're going through. And so we'll continue that theme in the coming weeks. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to to get a glimpse into Paul's situation and his ministry. Lord, I thank you that you use the hardships, you use the suffering that we go through in our lives um, for our good, to advance your kingdom and to, and to share your gospel. Thank you that you redeem our suffering. And through that, many people are, are saved. In Christ we pray. Amen. This time I encourage you to stand and in closing we'll sing It Is Well With My Soul. Number four.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.